everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Inclusive Educators Podcast, the podcast coming to you by way of the University of Colorado Boulder's Center for Teaching and Learning, or the CTL. I'm Dr. Quatez Scott, or Quatez, and I serve in the dual capacity as Inclusive Pedagogy Lead in the CTL, as well as the host of this podcast. So welcome, everyone joining us here today. This episode is focused on trauma-informed pedagogy, and I'm excited to have uh, on our show here today, Helen Mishkidza as or future doctor, Helen Mishkidza, who's completing her doctorate right now and should be a doctor within the next month. So as we go deeper into the dialogue on trauma-informed pedagogy, I want to invite um, Helen here to talk uh, about, you know, her work and her research and the work that she's done on trauma-informed pedagogy. She and I had the opportunity to virtually meet briefly during a presentation that she facilitated, uh, which was titled, How to Bring Trauma-Informed Principles and Practices to Your Classroom. It was a great discussion, and I immediately followed up with Helen and asked her to join us on our show. So I'm glad to have her here today. But to go through just a short bio for Helen, Helen is a PhD candidate at the University of California, Irvine. She received her MA from Western University in Ontario, Canada in 2017, and her BA and BS in philosophy and physics, respectively, from Elon University in 2016. Her teaching is guided by feminist values as well as trauma-informed and empirically based, uh, from an empirically-based approach. Her research is in two areas of philosophy of physics, the foundations of gravitational theories, and the epistemology of computational simulations. Everyone, please welcome Helen to the show. Helen, how are you doing? Great. Thanks so much, Quatez, for the introduction. Yeah, no problem. So uh, I like to start off with this first question because uh, I really just like to like and understand how people really come into uh, teaching, um, you know, all of our tracks are, are pretty much different and, and a lot of folks have expertise in certain areas, but teaching is a lot different. So can you just share with our listeners and, uh, and just share either what one person or persons or what one moment or moments for you really inspired you to become a college instructor or have interest in doing that? So for me, I think it was my undergraduate philosophy department as a whole that uh, really motivated me to want to go into teaching. Uh, so their approach was like a really practical one, and they were guided by this goal, uh, at least my perception was that they were guided by this goal of developing better informed democratic citizens. So that was what they saw the point of teaching philosophy as being. Um, so at the time, I wasn't sure what kind of philosopher I wanted to be, but I did know that this is like the kind of goal that I was really motivated by. And so nowadays, I... I'm a philosopher of science, and so I have a better sense of what that means for me. So for my students, I want them to become better democratic citizens by really understanding the science that we're using and using to understand the world and using like practically to facilitate our going about in the world. And so uh, I really want them to understand the role, the methodologies, the limitations of science. And as a teacher of philosophy of science, that's what I see my role as being. Uh, and so that's that's kind of how I came to want to to go into the university setting. No, that's awesome. And for me, so my doctorate degree is in the foundations of education with a um, concentration, if you will, in the history of education. So foundation, you know, educational uh, foundations programs 
also uh, focus a lot on preparing students to become, you know, democratic citizens. So for you, you know, what, like, what do you define as being a, a democratic citizen? And, and then what responsibility do, do you deem us to have as, as individuals uh, to participate in society, democratically speaking? Sure. So uh, basically, like mainly voting, and I want students to be really understanding of the issues that they're voting on, especially as it might relate to scientific issues as a philosopher of science. So like, if they're thinking about climate change policy or climate policy, I want them to have a good grasp of the science behind it. Or if they're thinking about like, some general new policy, I want them to be able to evaluate the evidence, uh, come to the issue, evaluate the evidence and make their own informed decision. Um, so just making those kinds of uh, decisions where there is relevant scientific evidence, I want them to be comfortable and confident that they can look at that. But I mean, also, uh, and this will be kind of discussed later on with the trauma-informed approach, I want them to have communities that they can rely on and engage with. And I think that's an important part of being a democratic citizen as well. Awesome. Now, since you brought it up, yeah, we're going to be talking about trauma-informed uh, pedagogy here today. So I was immediately drawn to one, I was going through our events and everything on our own CTO uh, webpage. And this was back like months ago because you presented back in March. And then I came across yours being presented and, and now we see like so many more books, um, journals and things, studies being done on trauma-informed pedagogy. So for me, I was immediately personally drawn to it because of my own background. So folks who don't necessarily know me, I uh, was largely raised and came up through the foster care system myself, but I came out of homes that were uh, quite abusive, like physically and emotionally speaking. So I went through more than two dozen foster homes by the time I uh, graduated from high school. So with that, there was a lot of trauma that I carried with me into higher education and then clearly carried with me like throughout uh, higher education. So I was really drawn to just these conversations in general. So uh, my question for you is, what was your introduction to trauma-informed pedagogy and how do you define trauma-informed pedagogy? And then of course, why is this work so important, particularly when it relates to college teaching today? Yeah, okay, so first, thanks so much for sharing that, especially for your listeners, it's uh, really vulnerable, so thank you. Um, so for me, I came to trauma-informed pedagogy while teaching during the pandemic. Uh, and I think, you know, this is also the, the reason that we see so many rise, so much rise in um, texts and papers and such looking at the trauma-informed approach. So many of uh, us who were shielded from like these kinds of traumas were only then realizing how much trauma our students have in their lives. And of course, this was being exacerbated both by, by the pandemic and ongoing protests for racial justice at the time. So my, my introduction to the trauma-informed approach was when I was teaching in 2021. Um, for me, the trauma-informed approach takes seriously students' lived experiences. So I would say if your goal is like mine to help foster independent and reflective learners, a trauma-informed approach just involves asking what the unaddressed impacts of trauma might be and how that might be influencing your students' progress towards these goals. So very simply, how does this past trauma relate to their current experiences in your classroom? So if your goal is, say, like a transformative educational experience, I think it's just necessary that you understand this context for uh, the students in your classrooms. So 
in general, it's really important to me because it cuts to the core of my goals as an educator. And I hope that's clear from what I just said, uh, but maybe I can add in a bit more detail. So there's lots of studies that show uh, how much a student, how uh, many students carry trauma in the classroom. So for example, there's this paper by Fraser and colleagues from 2009 that cites 85% of students reporting trauma. And so, I mean, that's from 2009. So surely the figure has only gone up since then. A study by Wood in 2021 cites that 85% of students report that the pandemic negatively impacted at least one aspect of their lives, and 65% of students indicate the pandemic has worsened their mental health at the in 2021. So um, we know that the effects have um, grown since the original 2009 study. And then in general, we know that the negative effects of COVID-19 were compounded with for students with minority identities and even worse for students with intersectional identities. Um, so we should expect the impacts to be greater. Um, and so, yeah, I, I take this approach seriously because it cuts to the core of what I hope to do as an educator, but also I know that it is impacting so many of my students. Yeah, and it's also... Um... Yeah, all of that is also really important to understanding just how students also show up in educational spaces as well. I've also been reading a lot more, um, not even just like in the educational sphere, but just on trauma in and of itself. I think there was a a book, um, is it Nicole LaPera? Um, I think, it was, I forget what the title of the book uh, is called, but she did note something to the effect of, I think seven out of 10 young people today um, essentially identify like at least one um, traumatizing like experience that they have in their lives, right? So um, the one thing, not the one thing, but one thing that does stick out to me in terms of, you know, these experiences is also looking at the level of the impact that it has on individuals. I was reading the book, um, I think it was Bruce Perry and um, Oprah, but they have this kind of dialogue with one another. It was what happened to you. I don't mm. know if, you've, if you're familiar with it, but yeah, the book is really interesting because he, and there are different definitions of trauma, right? But one of the definitions that he gives of, of trauma, or at least being able to understand what it looks like is being able to look at an adverse event looking at the adverse experience with it. And then of course, looking at the outcomes because of that particular experience and then looking at how it adversely affects a lot of different people. So um, I definitely think that that's also important, you know, too, in terms of how students show up in today's uh, college classrooms. Uh, one of the things that you're, um, I think you're kind of hinting at as well is just recognizing that to be inclusive, right, means to take into consideration today's students and the experiences that they that they uh, that they come with, right? Like when you're talking about the lived experiences of students, because that's mm -hmm. a reality, right? Um, whenever I facilitate dialogues with faculty members from an inclusive standpoint, uh, one of the things that we can't ignore are the not just the academic needs of students, but the social needs of students which by and large typically uh, go into their academic needs, right? So they kind of go hand in hand. So it's really interesting, um, you know, like what, what things we must consider as it relates to uh, students' experiences. So with that, you know, you, you, you did a really great presentation. I don't want to walk through <laughs> what you discussed back in, um, 
in March, but maybe you can give us a little bit of background, but just from a principal standpoint, right? Because your presentation was uh, titled How to Bring Trauma-Informed Principles and Practices. What are some of the core principles that educators must consider if they are interested in engaging in trauma-informed practices? So uh, I'll first say a bit like relating back to what you just mentioned. So one thing that I really appreciate about trauma-informed pedagogy is that it relates so closely to other nearby pedagogies that I think many folks are already committed to. So if you have just an inclusive, maybe anti-racist, feminist, um, universally designed kind of commitments, a trauma-informed approach fits in really nicely with these. So I think this will be clear when I go through these principles. But the principles in general include uh, the following five. So safety, choice, trustworthiness, collaboration, and empowerment. Now, of course, these are just the ones that I'm focusing on, but um, I'll give a quick overview of each of them and say how that impacts what you actually do in the classroom. Uh, safety involves the emotional and the physical safety of students in the classroom. So they want to feel comfortable uh, and respected and welcome in the classroom uh, with respect to their physical and their emotional and mental safety. Now, of course, there are times when we wanna challenge students or make students uncomfortable about various issues or perspectives, but that's not at the stake of uh, uh, their general safety, right? Like we can push them uh, and challenge them, but that doesn't mean that their general safety will ever be compromised. Uh, and so that's one of the, the first principle. So the second principle is choice. And choice really understands the role that trauma might have uh, played in undermining students' choices in the past. And so it aims to provide them a little bit of control in the classroom by giving them options to choose from. So this could be with respect to like what assignments you ask students to complete or who they might be able to partner with. But basically it's just giving students a voice in ways that they can enact what they might want to do. Um, one thing about choice is that I think it often involves more work on the part of us as instructors. So we'll want to balance this with not um, overwhelming ourselves. Like to grade a bunch of different kinds of assignments is a more strenuous task than one type of assignment. So it's important to recognize that and uh, incorporate that our own health into our approach. Uh, so the next principle is trustworthiness, and this involves students seeing you as being trustworthy. Uh, and uh, so it's really connected to transparency. We want to be really clear what our goals are in the classroom and then how we're going to be assessing students. We never want to kind of blindside them into uh, not being aware of uh, like how they might be assessed or not, not realizing that some assignment was coming up. So I really like that the trauma-informed approach, I really like the perspective that it takes to trustworthiness. It's not focusing on students actually developing trust towards you, but rather on you being perceived as trustworthy. So this is really especially important for students who might have like a general mistrust of educational environments uh, and because they might not find them welcoming at all. So the trauma-informed approach recognizes that that can't really be fixed in just one classroom experience. And so all we can really hope to do as educators is be trustworthy and then wait until students can develop that trust in us. So it's for the students to decide whether or not to trust us, but it's for us to be, to present as trustworthy. 
the next one is collaboration. So this one's really important in a trauma-informed approach because trauma and higher ed in general are often so isolating. So this principle really emphasizes helping students build communities of support in the classroom. So you want them to have networks on which they can draw on. So this is not only among students, but also between you and the students. If there's opportunities that you could collaborate on the course design, that would be really um, impactful, I think, for students. But again, this one, you have to balance with what your course structure is. Like if you have over 100 students, collaborating with students is going to be much more difficult than if you have classrooms of, say, 20. Um, and the final one is empowerment. So this one asks us to recognize and build up individual students and their experiences. So students in our classrooms have, of course, their own goals. And then these classrooms that we are fostering are just one step along the way to whatever goals they might have. So if we can, we should take these goals seriously when we're designing the course. And when we're doing that, I mean, and by doing that, what I mean is something like, who are the kinds of students who are gonna be taking your course? And how might you support the goals that those kinds of students might have? Uh, part of empowerment too is reflecting on whether or how your course might be contributing towards the status quo, quo um, or whether you're moving the dial towards justice. So whether you're contributing to the status quo that students are finding problematic or whether you're actively um, moving the status quo. I like that. That's a that's really cool to quote. Uh, are we move from an empowerment perspective? Are we moving students more toward or keeping them in, in the status quo, or are we moving them toward you know like the arc of justice? That's really that's a really cool way of of being able to frame that. So just to recap, yeah. So the five principles that you talked about with being you know trauma informed, safety, choice, trustworthiness, collaboration, as well as empowerment. Now. Let's just talk about from the practical pieces of, of all of these. When you're teaching, what ways do you, uh, I guess, like what practices do you incorporate inside of the classroom um, in terms of being trauma informed? But then also from a personal standpoint, what's an account, like how do you measure yourself in terms of being effective? Like what accountability measures do you have in place? So some of the things that I've done, um, in this past quarter, I was teaching an introduction to symbolic logic, which is, uh, you know, not the most uh, interesting often to students. Uh, so one of the things I did in that in that uh, class was, uh, well, it was over a hundred students, so we were kind of limited in what kinds of things we could do, but we made sure to incorporate collaboration. So every Friday we did labs and students had groups in which they would complete uh, labs. So that was a very clear way that they could develop communities of support. We also had a uh, Discord community. So it's kind of like a social networking kind of platform on which students could chat. Um, and ask one another questions about the assignments and uh, so on. So that was kind of like another way of developing community that was low stakes and they could just quickly um, ask one another questions because uh, the kinds of assignments that they are working on are like really easy to get stuck on small things. And I didn't want that to be happening. I wanted them to be able to uh, feel like they could make progress without you know getting stuck in these holes. Um, one thing to note about 
logic this classroom and mathematics in general is that students will often carry a trauma of being told that they're not good at math and so one of the principles that I was trying to work towards in this classroom was just having a really growth mindset towards the the topic and so a trauma-informed approach kind of guided that because I recognized that they have this trauma and I wanted to build flexibility into the classroom to account for it uh, one of the things we did was allow various uh, assignment categories to have particular assignments that could be dropped. So like five out of six assignments in this category would be counted towards their grade. And if they happen to not do well on one or two, that's fine. They would be dropped. And so that kind of fits in the choice uh, and some amount of flexibility as well. Um, so those are some kinds of things that I'll do that relate to that particular course. More generally, having uh, peer network groups, having a lot of scaffolded assignments, having grace periods on assignments. So if you submit it within 24 hours, there's no penalty for it being late. These are the kinds of practices that I'll do throughout my classes. In terms of assessing how effective these strategies are, it can be really tricky. Uh, if you teach a course over multiple iterations, it can be really nice because as you incorporate more um, trauma-informed practices, you can see if students are improving uh, and whether they feel more comfortable and confident, you can ask them. Um, maybe ask them like in their midterm evaluations or so forth. Uh, for somebody who is kind of teaching these one-off courses as a graduate student, that's not really an option because you don't get to iterate as much. Uh, so I, I would just often ask them in the midterm evaluations uh, and have kind of reflections along the way. And in the past, in, in this course that I was just teaching, there was a time where they said, actually, this, this amount of reflective journaling is not helping us. And so I kind of rolled it back and said, okay, this is optional now, so you don't have to do it. Uh, so I don't, I, as long as you have the trustworthiness aspect and you have uh, open lines of communication with students, I would say that uh, generally I found that they're pretty okay telling you what is effective for their learning and what isn't. And then as long as you have enough flexibility built into the course to change those aspects, it um, works out okay. Yeah, it almost feels like a kind of, you know, with trauma-informed you know, do no further harm, right? <laughs> Being able to understand mm -hmm. that many of the students that are coming um, who have these traumas that they're carrying with them, there's harm that they're already, you know, carrying um, inside of those spaces. Uh, so how can I, as, as an instructor, do no further harm uh, to this person? I liked what you said something earlier, you know, it's not necessarily about, you know, trying to undo it, right? You're just not, you're, one, you're trying to, you know, consider, the traumas that students can be bringing inside of the classroom uh, while also again you know you know not doing any further harm to individuals and with all of this um you know you you just also stated something earlier about uh feedback essentially you know students being told that they're not good in math now as a person who has been in dei for more than a decade now uh, i'm going to put some social identities on that so typically this, the, or at least one from a racial standpoint, uh, but then two, uh, even when it comes to like engineering, like, right, for instance, and at the University of Colorado, like aerospace is also another huge program, but we typically uh, see uh, women inside of that space being marginalized, right? So thinking about 
you know, what we are communicating to students, the treatment that we are giving. And it's also the direct and indirect ways as well. I'm actually preparing to do a study or proposing a study with some colleagues, and it's about the academic self-concepts of students and Black students in particular. But one thing about uh, self-verification theory or, you know, a, a student's self-view or literature about that is that folks develop their self-view based upon their direct interactions with folks as well as their indirect interactions with folks. So in addition to just being able to understand what type of psychological experience it creates in terms of how they navigate that experience, we also have to consider the traumas <laughs> that it also uh, perpetuates as well. Because there have been studies, and as we're building our literature review, that show that even as early as in, in the K through 12 system, there was a study that showed that um, students who were in, uh, who were adolescents, when their teachers talked to them in the areas of math, as well as reading, when their student, when their teachers gave them feedback uh, that was ability related, that was positive, it showed a positive correlation to their, uh, to their self-talk as well as their self-concept. So they saw themselves <laughs> and taught themselves more into being good in math or at least being able to have the ability to be good in math and reading and not necessarily just, okay, well, I just need to do whatever to like get through this. And I was talking to my supervisor at work as I was talking about that literature. And I said, you know, it was interesting because when I thought back on my own educational experiences as a black student, I couldn't, I remembered more times where somebody taught me or told me where to go to get help, then I remember somebody talking and telling me that I was good or that I was capable. And those are things to like, that's really powerful. Like when you sit back and you think about things like that, because even though that wasn't at the forefront of my mind, um, think about the students where that is at the forefront of their experiences, right? Um, and then I think things like that can certainly uh, contribute to persistence and graduation rates as well. So those are definitely some things to kind of keep in mind. Yeah, I mean, especially in a discipline uh, that's pretty adversarial, like I think philosophy is pretty adversarial uh, and critique kind of driven. It's really difficult to see instances where students are being given this kind of positive uh, feedback. And so I like really try to make an effort when I see, you know, this is a really nice way of framing this point, or this was a really effective strategy that you used for this kind of assignment to point that part out too, because students need to know like, what it is that they're doing well in order to continue to do those things well. And it's not always clear if you just tell them this part is wrong, that you're implying that the rest of it, you know, is following a good strategy. Yeah, for sure. And I apologize to anybody. I use the gender binary uh, when talking about, you know, some of the issues in, in the field of engineering. Um, but that's one of the ones that typically comes out with, uh, with, with literature. So I'm referencing that. Now, another key thing to keep in mind as it relates to trauma-informed uh, pedagogy is that there are different definitions of trauma and there are different experiences with trauma. And many of those experiences can be related to one's social identities, right? So they're honoring the intersectional pieces of it. We all have different social identities that we hold. So a black person can experience trauma through the marginalizing experience of their race in education, just as a non-gender conforming person can experience trauma through the marginalizing experience of gender norms within our society. And then there are military individuals, right, that can experience trauma based upon their years of service. So as an educator, 
What are some differentiated practices uh, that you incorporate into your classrooms or, or that's in literature that's out there that folks can have to bring a more trauma-informed pr uh, perspective into the classroom? Uh, I think this is a really great and difficult point. So my best advice here and one that I follow is to build in flexibility in my classrooms. Um, so that if one way of doing something might be triggering or more difficult for certain students, there's you know another way of completing an assignment flexible enough that they can choose that. Um, or maybe like if they're having an especially bad day or it's an anniversary of some kind of tra traumatic event or some new unrest is happening or anything like that, say there's flexibility and participation and so they don't need to worry about that kind of thing so like not giving them more burdens with the classroom experience um as a white female identifying and presenting instructor i think it can be really difficult uh for me to be able to sort of conceptualize some of the traumas that my students are going through especially teaching at a university where the demographics don't you know correspond to my own demographics uh, and this is something that universally designed for learning also takes really seriously so the goal there is of course to make our courses universally accessible but that's an ideal there's no way of making it universally accessible you just can't know as the instructor what kinds of barriers students might face that you're trying to um, circumvent by making your course universally accessible. Uh, and so maybe the thing to say is build in flexibility, build in choice, but also build in this trustworthiness aspect so that if students aren't getting the things they need, the trauma-informed approach is there to allow them to ask you for those kinds of uh, alternative means of completing assignments or different approaches. Uh, and so as long as you're clear that you're open to feedback and flexible, I would hope that students would feel comfortable enough to come to you with whatever issues they might be facing, and then you work to make it better. Now, if you are like me in a position of privilege with respect to a lot of your students in terms of their demographic identities, we should take it upon ourselves to be educated about the kinds of issues that they might be facing and adjust our courses accordingly. But again, like you don't always know. And so having that flexibility and openness of communication is important. Yeah, no, great information. And, you know, the other piece of that with as we're trying to work on becoming more, you know, aware of the lived experiences and the traumas that students bring into the classroom, there is the other aspect of wellness on the part of instructors as well. And I'm glad in our center, we have uh, we have uh, Dr. Kalpana Gupta as well as uh, our, I forget her name, or not her name, but I forget exactly what Dr. June Gruber uh, it, it does through her um, do, through her relationship with the with the CTL, but they're focusing a lot more on instructor well-being through their work. So with that in mind, it can be a heavy lift when you are tending to the needs of your students, especially some of the stories that students bring into the classroom as well. You know, the things that they have seen, the things that they have lived through and the things that they carry. What practices do you incorporate for yourself uh, to, uh, to, to, you know, to try to focus on your own well-being and, and have some, uh, some self-care? Um, this isn't so much with respect to like uh, students 
sharing their experiences in the classroom, but more with respect to course design um, and how to not overburden yourself. So as I mentioned, like flexibility comes with more work, but so too does trying to design, say, universally accessible or trauma-informed courses in general. And so I'd say that my advice here is, and the practices I use is like, try to, um, try to do it in an incremental way, um, make small changes to courses that you already have to make them move towards these goals that you have. Uh, don't try to revamp the whole thing from scratch. Uh, in addition to being much more work and difficult, it will be harder to assess whether it's effective or not. And so if you take these smaller steps towards trauma-informed, universally accessible courses, I think that can be both more effective and uh, more considerate of your own mental health. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, and I appreciate that too, right? You know, sometimes folks will, if something, you know, if something unfortunate happens inside of a course, it's, it, it depends on the severity of it as well, right? Sometimes people will go to the deep end of try to throw out the whole thing and, you mm-hmm. know, do uh, to do like a 180 on it. When sometimes it's just like one, maybe two small things to do, which is why I also appreciate, you know, those uh, those texts from uh, James Lang and, and Flower Darby on small teaching, you know, the different versions of that. Uh, just, you know, focusing on what are some, you know, small incremental things as you use, um, you know, that that we can do to to really transform those experiences. Because sometimes it's literally just like those one or two things. It's not the entirety of it. Because in the midst of thinking that we have to throw out everything, sometimes you may be throwing out a really good part of that experience uh, for the sake of maybe I did some harm uh, unexpectedly in one aspect of it. So yeah, it's definitely important to, to keep those things in mind. Uh, just a couple more questions for you. But one is, as we talk about, you know, the approaches of doing well, recognizing sometimes like we do harm unintentionally inside of those spaces, as I just uh, referenced. So, you know, have there been any aspects of trying to engage in trauma-informed, you know, pedagogy in which maybe you had a misstep? uh, And, you know, how did you personally, you know, respond to that uh, and try to redress some some of that harm? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of instances in the classroom where there's like small missteps. um, And in those cases, uh, like misspeaking or, um, uh, you know, that kind of thing. I think it's just really important to be really like forgiving to yourself. Um, So those kinds of missteps, you know, they're not so, so big, but in, in terms of course design, I mentioned that I had this activity where I was asking students to do reflections, and then they told me, well, this isn't really working for us. Um, and in those, in that case, I thought, well, this reflection, I think, is really important to um, the approach that I'm taking, because that was part of my goal in helping undercut any um, like math-related trauma that students had, because it was asking them to reflect on what they're good at and what they perceive themselves as doing well on the assignment but clearly it wasn't working and students weren't really benefiting from it so I mean uh, a misstep that I kind of corrected was asking them to do that too frequently so I kind of backtracked it and um, uh, made it optional so that if students still saw the benefit they could do it but if they didn't then they didn't have to so that's kind of a, a larger course design kind of misstep. Yeah, and that could also be like um, 
with the principles, right? So uh, choice mm-hmm. is what a, what I heard with that, right? So definitely wanting to give students choice. And then if they say that they are struggling with something and then you come back with, well, I feel like, right? So then it could feel as if they're not being given a choice with doing something like that. And sometimes it's also like really difficult because you're trying to balance the what you believe, <laughs> like the, epistemolo- the, the epistemological pieces of it, like what I believe I know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. what you all need to be doing to get there uh, versus also the things that students are interested in, right? You talked about earlier with the trustworthiness, part of that is you know also making it relevant to, to learners. So yeah, no, um, I could definitely see that. And, and one of the things I'll say just from my perspective as it relates to you know some missteps is that I've learned is not looking to minimize other students' experiences or the hurt that, or the, you know, the negative experiences that they have within the classroom, right? Because I think that that can happen sometimes is if, you know, a student comes with, hey, you know, like this is something that like I either like really struggled with or I didn't appreciate the way that this was like brought up or mentioned in class or, you know, something to that degree. And then, Sometimes, like, I think the first thing we want to do is to look back on that, but we sometimes we look back on it through our own lens and we're not looking at it through the lens or the lenses or the perspectives of the respective student or students. So mm-hmm. sometimes, like, we can look back and just say, Well, I didn't really mention it. Like, it, the way that I said it, the tone that I brought to it really wasn't to what they're making it out to be, which can then be minimizing that student's experience and really. Um, really, you know, shielding like the the trauma that they're bringing and they're bringing to you inside of that space. So one, it's important to recognize that there's a huge level of trust, right? One of the principles of trauma-informed pedagogy uh, is that students are trusting and being vulnerable that by coming to you, that they're not going to be harmed further with that. What they're looking to do is to, you know, one, make you aware of that so that it doesn't happen again. But then two, like, what are some things that we can do to, you know, minimize uh, the likelihood that this can happen again inside in in the future? So uh, I would say personally, yeah, you know, it's really important for us, you know, from a from a inside of the class, like when things are going on, um, try not to to minimize the experiences of students or the the harm that they're bringing to you. Um, And and part of that is being able to be comfortable enough with ourselves to acknowledge that we are human. So just like we're humanizing the experiences of students through trauma-informed teaching practices, like we have to we have to humanize like ourselves as well. So we are likely to do harm inside of those spaces. So I think those things are important. Yeah, I think that's really key is when it's like if they're coming to you, they are already showing that they're like they're presenting vulnerable and you want to understand uh, this this um, feedback that they're giving you, and often as instructors, I think we have I've seen a lot of people switch into defensive mode and done this myself. And you're like, no, that's not what I meant. But the point isn't that, right? It's it's to understand why they uh, perceive this as of, um, offending them or um, harming them or traumatizing them or whatever is the case. And then understand like, not only don't repeat this kind of instance, but what other kinds of things might this be influencing and how might you um, change other aspects of the course to um, make sure that it wouldn't happen again. For sure. 
Now, lastly, what are some myths or misconceptions about trauma-informed pedagogy that you think are important to address? Uh, okay, so one thing that's not so much a myth, but I think is important that we consider is like what constitutes trauma in the first place. Because uh, people might be uh, totally on board and just be like, but I don't really understand like what the trauma is. So some researchers think that it's much closer to something like PTSD, uh, which might be the strictest definition of trauma. But other people take a much more general or lenient view here where a traumatic event is just one that students or whoever the relevant party is uh, perceives as causing some kind of fear, helplessness, or horror. So I tend to think that the more general version of the understanding is more helpful. And like particular examples of traumatic instances include like witnessing violence, unexpected death of a friend or family member or a loved one, et cetera, unwanted sexual attention or contact, a natural disaster might cause trauma and many more uh, like this. So um, anything like pandemic related might be related here, uh, et cetera. So I think it's very clear from the kinds of examples that these are gonna be differentially associated with various demographic groups. Um, and, and so we might consider that as well. Um, and then finally, uh, whether or not the students in your classroom have actually experienced trauma, I think the principles that trauma-informed approach brings so nicely align with other kinds of pedagogies that people are already committed to, uh, that they ought to just adopt them, like courses that have more trustworthiness and transparency, uh, these are just better courses overall, whether or not it's in, a, in response to students' trauma. And so I think that these principles just make our courses more just and effective. And so I would advocate for them no matter who it, the, the people in our classrooms are. No, thank you very much. That's um, definitely helpful for me to understand as well. Well, with that, are there any final thoughts or words of advice that you would like to share with our listeners, just generally about being uh, equity-minded as well as trauma-informed educators? Um, my only piece of advice here is one that I mentioned before, which is just to try to do it in small steps, so incrementally change your courses. These approaches are really hard to enact, and they involve carefully considering what our goals are, who our students are, what our classrooms are doing. And so I think we ought to expect difficulties along the way. That's just part of the approach. And so start small, give students a choice between two assignments, say, see how that goes. Give them some peer groups, see how that goes. Incorporate some grace periods, see how that goes. And by that, I mean like, ask students if they are thinking that this is more effective for their learning and compare it to maybe previous iterations of the course uh, where you had similar kinds of assignments and see if they're doing better. Um, so just be really lenient uh, on yourself as you go along to recognize that this is difficult and try to take small steps. We're gonna practice it right now. Dr. Mashiska, thank <laughs> you very much for joining. This has been really awesome. Thank you so much for, um, for, for contributing your expertise and being so gracious with your time and everything. All of this is super informative. For those of you who are listening in, we're gonna be doing more presentations and workshops throughout the academic year on trauma-informed pedagogy through the CTL. So once again, uh, let's send Dr. Mashiska all the best wishes and luck as she defends or prepares to defend her dissertation here in the next month. So is there anything 
actually, let me. Is there anything coming from you uh, related to trauma-informed pedagogy, or anything that you're writing on or working on that's related to the work? Well, actually, we did do a study on. Well, in the middle of doing a study on this course, I was just mentioning. So, not in the super foreseeable future, but maybe like a year, year and a half down the line, we'll have something about uh, how we incorporated these principles into this course and what students perceived. Awesome. Thank you very much, Dr. Mashitska. All right. This has been the Inclusive Educators Podcast. Thank you all for joining us and we'll see you for the next episode.